0: This podcast is brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the ASCO Foundation. Our mission is to accelerate breakthroughs in life-saving cancer research and empower people everywhere to conquer cancer. You can help by donating at conquer.org forward slash podcast. Welcome to Your Stories, a podcast where we hear candid stories from people conquering cancer. August begins back to school season for children everywhere. The end-of-summer tradition brings new backpacks, fresh pencils, and the hopes and dreams of young people. But sadly, the World Health Organization estimates 400,000 children around the world will have their school year disrupted with a cancer diagnosis. Conquer Cancer donors have invested more than $8.5 million to fund 117 research projects focused on pediatric cancers. From the Your Stories archive, Dr. Mark Kabelbaum, a Conquer Cancer grant recipient, shares hopeful news about conquering childhood cancers with fellow oncologist Dr. Douglas Yee. He gives doctors' orders for how all patients with cancer and their families can face every phase of a diagnosis with childlike hopes.
1: So I'm a medical oncologist. I take care of breast cancer patients. So back when I was in medical school and training, I really wanted to be an all-purpose physician that, you know, took care of people. When I was thinking about that, I said, well, I want to, maybe I would be like to be a pediatrician. I went to do my pediatrics rotation. The thing that didn't work for me was that most of your patients really don't want to see you. In other words, kids either in a well baby check or if they're sick or anything, they don't want to see you, much less talk. So obviously it appealed to you.
2: Yeah. I mean, the reality is I'm a large child, right? <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I was in college and even in medical school, you know, I, I just gravitated towards working with kids. It's just more fun. You know, our rooms are more highly decorated. I get to watch magicians when I'm on rounds because they happen to be in the child's room. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many art projects I've gotten to to watch and participate in, you know, just because that's what my patient was doing when I was seeing them. And it keeps you young and it, and it keeps you sprightly. And The good news is for pediatric oncology, I mean, for the vast majority of children with leukemia, we cure those kids. And that's fantastic. And, you know, my specialty is not leukemia. I do research in a disease called neuroblastoma, which is one of the more common pediatric cancers. It's a disease that affects nerve tissue. And I try to research better cures and and try to find different ways of identifying patients who are more likely to have better or worse disease and, and really figure out how we can precisely treat those kids. So, you know, we're working towards those goals. But kids keep it young and fun. And, you know, the, the pediatric oncologists within pediatrics were sort of a special breed because there are a lot of pediatricians who don't want to work with the sick kids. Well, child checks are more fun. It's, it's, you know, we deal with the issues of life and death. And it's a struggle, but it's an honor. I think it's very hard for me early on in my career because, you know, I, I see some success. I see some failure in my research and with my patients. But I don't have that long view. And, you know, one of the things I see from my senior colleagues is they love nothing more than hearing from their patients 20 years later. They love nothing more than looking back and saying, this is where things were 20, 30 years ago. This is where they are now. Look at what I've contributed
1: to. What is your perspective on that? I think on the individual level, it's really always gratifying. And, you don't like, sometimes you don't think about the patient's perspective completely. But when a patient will tell me that, well, you know, I never thought I was going to see my child graduate or get married. And so in some respects, that's extraordinarily gratifying on a personal level. But, you know, the other aspect is how do you as an individual help make that happen more often than not? And how do you then really try to set the field up so that things are changing a little more rapidly?
2: As you know, the struggles that my dad has had with advanced prostate cancer, and he's at the phase where he's just running out of options, basically. I mean, from that perspective, it's been both fascinating and heart-wrenching to interact with the medical oncology community. I mean, you're at an academic center and, you know, I am as well. And we always and I think the first thing we always think about is how can I get my patient on a study? How can I find something better than standard of care if standard of care just
1: isn't good enough? There's always the challenge when there's barriers between what we in the academic world perceive as optimal care and what people are getting. And, you know, as somebody who sees a referral practice, I see that a lot when we train practitioners. We need to make sure we train them in a way that they're always curious. Now, you don't necessarily have to be a leader in research, but you certainly have to stay on top of things. So culturally, I think we just need to train more physicians who come with that background. I tell patients and everybody that today's ceiling is tomorrow's floor. If you're practicing at the top of your game today, five, 10, two years from now, it's not going to be that way anymore. So we have to make sure that everybody in the healthcare system understands that. As you said, pediatrics is the best case example.
2: I think what we've always benefited from in pediatrics is our patients have to come to an academic center. And we've always had to pool resources because we deal in nothing but rare diseases. The only reason we've made advances is because we have a strong focus on research. I don't think it's just research that, that's been a struggle, too. It's also been supportive care. As my dad has been progressing, his symptoms are, you know, becoming more severe. And unfortunately, he's having a harder time mobilizing. And I had to encourage my family to fight to get palliative care services, which To me, as you know, in my practice, it's a no brainer. If I've got somebody with metastatic disease, like the day they're diagnosed, I say I call my palliative colleagues and I say, hey, can you help me with symptom management here? We need to make them do well. But we also need to make sure that they're, you know, in my case, in pediatrics, going to school, seeing their friends, you know, acting like children. That's so important. That's what I was told on day one of fellowship, you know. Yes, it's terrifying to start taking care of children with cancer, and you're not trained for it yet, and you're going to be taking the call at the middle of the night from somebody who needs to talk to somebody who knows something about pediatric oncology. But just remember, no matter what you do, if the patient is first, you will not be wrong. My patient, she's now 10 years old, and she's been battling with high-risk neuroblastoma for a couple of years. And her mom gave a very, very moving speech about everything that she's gone through uh, in the past couple of years. And it's very emotional for me to hear as her physician, you know, we don't, I think as doctors always think about what my patient is doing on a day-to-day basis because, you know, we think about sort of our patients as a whole and where is this person in treatment and, and what do I need to make sure that this treatment keeps marching on, but seeing it from that sort of one person side and, and all the, the ups and downs of cancer treatment and seeing all the pictures and hearing the stories of how their family had to rally through, through good and bad, it was really quite touching and it really brought home I think the importance of what we do. It was pretty amazing to hear that.
3: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement. Asco and Conquer Cancer, the Asco Foundation, would like to recognize Helson, our inaugural Conquer Cancer Vision Impact Supporter. We are grateful to all our donors whose support funds key mission activities and helps create a world where cancer is prevented or cured and
0: every survivor is healthy. Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Conquer Cancer, the Asco Foundation. For doctor approved patient information, please visit cancer.net, which is supported in part by Conquer Cancer doctors. Conquer Cancer is creating a world where cancer is prevented or cured and every survivor is healthy. You can help by donating now at conquer.org forward slash podcast. The participants of this podcast report no conflicts of interest relevant to this podcast. Full disclosures can be found on the episode page on conquer.org.
3: The purpose of this podcast is to educate and to inform. This is not a substitute for professional medical care and is not intended for use in the diagnosis or treatment of individual conditions. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions, experience, and conclusions. Guest statements on the podcast do not express the opinions of ASCO. The mention of any product, service, organization, activity, or therapy should not be construed as an ASCO endorsement.